Bible with you, open up to Exodus chapter 3 or on your phone, uh, maybe just a friend next to you. But Exodus chapter 3, and you're going to start right in verse 1. Uh, as you turn to that, uh, I was looking on, on the internet last night trying to figure out some things to, to open up this sermon with, and I learned that Instagram has 1.2 billion users monthly. Like people actively scrolling, right? Someone in this group right now is scrolling through Instagram instead of listening to me. Um, 1.2 billion people looking at Instagram, uh, reviewing pictures and reels and memes and everything else they can get across uh, the screen now. Um, and I've, I'm old enough to know, like, like, to watch Instagram move from this picture of, like, what you ate for lunch to this, just this system. It's this platform of, of comparing your life and every aspect of it to these perfectly curated posts from people uh, afar and, and maybe next door. Right? Your friends and also celebrities and uh, the super wealthy and the super talented and the super beautiful and, and every aspect that they can to make everything look crafted and, and perfect. And even more recently, if you do use Instagram, uh, you notice like the filters that they've been putting out have been a real highlight on things because they make people's faces look completely different. Right, like not just like improving them, like brightening areas or darkening certain areas that might make uh, some type of change, but like drastically different, like smoothing your acne on your skin or or changing everything about your nose and your eyes and and making size like crazy difference, like plastic surgery kind of like promotion almost. It just changes everything about the way that people look. And my point is this, is that we scroll through these things and we start to compare like, oh, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not as good looking as him or, or I'm, I, I need to hit the gym, I need, I need to run more, like I need to do something, I need to go on a diet. Like I don't eat like that. That person has like the most amazing meals and I never, you know, Taco Bell just doesn't hit that way. Um, like I need to do something different. My life just isn't as good. We start to develop these insecurities when we're doing this all the time. And you know, maybe for you, maybe it's not Instagram, but the same thing is true. Like CNBC, you watch the news and you hear about these businesses and these stocks. You start thinking, man, my portfolio just isn't as good. Right? My, that's my retirement account. Like I'm never going to be able to retire. I'm going to be working until I die. Right? And, and, and something beyond that, like something deeper, something that I've seen a lot of like headlines over for millennials especially is this idea of like imposter syndrome. So what this is, is in, in, especially in like your career, you, you've achieved a certain level of success or status, right? You, you've gotten a couple of promotions, you've gotten a couple of raises, and now you have responsibility, you have weight on your shoulders, maybe you even have people under you, or you just have a lot of things that you're responsible to take care of, and you don't even really feel like you're qualified to do it. You go to work every day and you do what you're supposed to do, but you don't feel like you're the right person for the job. Like you don't even know how you ended up there. And you, you have this self-doubt, this, this, this consuming sense that like you're an imposter, you're a fraud. Like how did you end up here? Maybe a little bit older, baby boomers remember uh, friends or, or yourselves that went through midlife crises and, and had to go and buy a, a new car or wanted to move or, or change careers. You needed something because you had this sense that your, your job, like the family, like it just, your life just wasn't panning out the way you anticipated. And maybe even now you're an empty nester or, or retired and, and you're starting to wonder, like, is, is there still like purpose? Is there meaning to my life? There's just a spectrum of things, right? We, from the surface where we compare ourselves to other people and the things that we don't have, the things that we can't do, the, the way that we wish our life was different to, to this deep sense of insecurity about who we are. 
and even to the point of understanding shame. Shame over the things that we've done. Shame that, that if my friends or if my family or if my church knew that I'd done these things in my past, I, I just wouldn't be accepted. I wouldn't be loved. Or maybe it's not the things that you've done, but things that have been done to you. Right? The people that have hurt you, the people that have wronged you, the people that have abused you and the shame that they've caused because of what you've experienced in that way. Everybody feels a sense of insecurity, and and a lot of us feel on the spectrum of these things, right? We walk into the store, and we're we're wishing we ate differently, and and our bodies look differently. We walk into uh, um, the mall, and we wish we could dress differently or, or feel differently about how we look. And we lay in bed at night wondering, does anybody even care about me because of these things? That has happened to me. I have value, I have worth. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't really know that we even like ourselves. Right? There's this insecurity that's, that's just this reality of what it means to be human almost, and, and it, it can be consuming. Right? And it manifests in all of these different ways, and, and it's this constant struggle, this constant battle of like, oh, I, I should be doing better in school, I should be doing better at work, I should be doing better as a dad, or as a, a husband, or as a mom, as a wife, as a friend. I, like, I, I, I gotta be better as a son, and, and do better to how I treat my mom, or treat my dad, or, or treat my uncle. Or, I, like, there's just this constant sense of like, I, 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 I should be doing better. Right? Or, and then when you have a conf- you're confronted with that task in front of you, the, the thing that you should be doing, it's like, I, I can't do that. I can't accomplish that, but I'm not capable of that. Right? That insecurity just swells. It's exhausting. Right? I mean, as we talked about starting the new year, and, and we're really excited for our next series because, I mean, we're a Bible church. We want to dive right into to books of the Bible, and we, and we bounce back and forth between topical series and, and uh, series on books of the Bible because we want to help you guys understand how to go through a, a passage and how to go through a section, how to go through large parts of Scripture and grow in that way. But as we talked about the new year, we realized, like, kicking off the new year with some, some exciting, like, five ways to find success and health and wellness and, and all these things is, is popular, but it's, it's probably not really where we're at, right? Not in 2022. 2022, after the years that we've all experienced, whether life has been good, normal, or, or, or terrible, all of us are feeling a little bit differently than we might have in like 2015, right? Some of you don't remember 2015 because you're too young. But 2022 is different. And in some ways, I think it's just more frank. We can be honest. Hey, some of us are experiencing grief, and we can be honest about that in our community, in our family here at the church. Some of us experience insecurity, and you know what? We can be honest about that because really all of us experience some type of insecurity. Some of us experience anxiety. These are the things that we're talking about as we kick the year off because that's just the reality. Like We can be positive and hopeful when we address these things because we can be open about these things. That's the reality of what the gospel is. That's the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus. That's the reality of the hope that the scriptures give us because it calls us to be open about these things in the context of our community. Whether it's in a college community group or, or a community group for the church as a whole and multi-generational group, like, like this is an opportunity for us to just be frank and open as we start the new year. Like, hey, this is a community that's real. Right? Authentic is kind of a buzzword in the church world, but like, I just want to be honest, like that's, 
that's the best way we can describe who we want to be, right? It's just a, a community that's real. A community that acknowledges, hey, sin is a part of this world and it has an impact on my life. And sometimes that's the things I do, sometimes that's the way I feel, right? Because of sin in this world, I feel insecure. Not necessarily even my sin, right? Again, the sin that other people have done to me. And sometimes it is my sin, the, the jealousy, the fear, the, the stuff that I feel because of my own covetousness. But it's real. But it's not the end all be all, right? The, the hope, the foundation, the, the thing that we hold to is Jesus in this life and that gives us hope. That gives us peace. That gives us joy. And in the context of insecurity, that gives us strength. And so if you have uh, Exodus open, I'm gonna start in chapter three, verse one. It says this, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, some of you might remember Moses. Uh, some of you may not. You, maybe you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt and you have this image of Moses as uh, this conquering leader. Right, bold to proclaim, stand in front of the Pharaoh that is the king of Egypt and say, let my people go, right? And he leads the people into the desert, into freedom, out of slavery, and he goes full bore, just this leader that you could look up to, this leader that Jews for generations and generations have looked back to as bold and faithful and one who overcame and helped to set them free. But that's not what we're gonna see is, is Moses in the beginning. Right? Moses in the beginning wasn't this strong leader. He wasn't this bold person willing to, to go and charge the hill. It says he's in Midian. See, Moses starts his life as an outcast. He's born a Hebrew, a people of Israel. Uh, he's born in Egypt though. And in Egypt, the Israelites had become a people that had grown in such multitude, right? So many people that the Egyptian rulers started to persecute them. They got nervous that if these, these Israelites that outnumbered them uh, got strong, then they would overcome them. They might join their enemies in battle and, and fight against Egypt. And so what they began to do is persecute them, to subjugate them, to show them that they are really, they're weak, they're lowly. And that persecution continued to grow. This is over a couple hundred years now, and it starts to continue to push them down into slavery. And at the point of fear of the Pharaoh, he declares that every male Hebrew should be killed. This is the Egypt that Moses is born into. That, that when he is born, he should be thrown into the Nile River to be eaten by a crocodile. Moses is, is shielded from that by his parents. Being faithful, they try to protect him. Uh, and so for three months, they keep him a secret. I don't know how you keep an infant that young a secret. To be honest, I've had an infant that young, and he cried all the time. But somehow, they were able to keep him a secret. And then, when they couldn't hide him any longer, at an act of faith and, and last-ditch effort, they place him in a basket in the Nile, hoping that somehow God might spare him, and he does. And he's adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, 
And God allows even uh, in this context, he allows for Pharaoh's daughter to go and hire Moses' mother to nurse him, right? To raise him up to the point of being a young child. And, and then he enters into the Pharaoh's house. He, his adoptive mother is a Pharaoh's daughter. Now, it sounds great, right? Like, in the context, in the situation, right, we're dealing with persecution and, and murder of, of infants even, and, and this horrible situation. God spares Moses, but at the same time for Moses, he's now a Hebrew who was, who was briefly raised by his Hebrew parents, his Israelite parents, and now living in the context of an Egyptian household. Right, that's confusing for him. That's, that's gotta be difficult for him. And we're gonna see in just a moment, he, his identity is still rooted in being a Hebrew. And maybe some of you understand what that's like, right? Maybe some of you understand what it's like to grow up with uh, feeling a little different, right? Because of your nationality, because of, of the context that you grew up in. Right? Like my grandpa grew up on the reservation in Montana. His dad was a member of the tribe. His mom was a white woman whose parents disowned her when she got married, right? And so as he grew up, that was already like family conflict, but then he was too white for the tribal kids and too Indian for the white kids. There's an identity sense of, of, of insecurity that builds because of that. Undoubtedly, Moses would have felt this uneasiness as he, as he grew up and became a man. He began to realize just his people because he would have looked a little different than everyone else around him. But his people, they were the ones being persecuted. They were the ones being enslaved. And, he, and here he is in the Pharaoh's court. There's a, there's a sense that that's gonna impact the way that he feels about himself. And we see that because at some point, uh, when he's an older young man maybe, um, he actually goes and tries to defend his people. Walking along one day, he realizes, uh, he recognizes that there's uh, some Hebrews being persecuted, literally being beaten by an Egyptian slave driver. And so he, he looks around and he kills that slave driver in defense of his, his Hebrew brothers. And so what we have is we have Moses being an infant that was basically abandoned out of necessity growing up in the context that he wasn't quite really with his people, his identity would have been confused and unsure and now even a murderer. He's an outcast. He has every reason because of what he's experienced, because of what he's done to feel insecure about himself. He has every reason to have self-doubt and uncertainty. And so when we find him in Midian, Midian is like a region in the desert. He, he's left Egypt. He fled for his own life. And he's now in hiding, trying to just live a quiet life. He's taken a wife and he's shepherding sheep and he's just walking through the hill as they eat the grass. And that's where we are in verse one. In verse two, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. 
Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses is walking with his sheep and he sees this burning bush, right? This, this Hebrew man who's now in Midian, who's another region far from where he was born, far from where he was grew up, far from his people, trying to live a quiet life in hiding, just raising a family and shepherding sheep. And he sees this bush on fire. Now, I don't know if you guys have been camping, but fire tends to like attract us, right? Like we have a fake fireplace on Netflix videos you can watch because there's just something about watching the flame. So it doesn't surprise me that he gets, gets distracted when he sees this bush, but as he looks at it, he realizes the bush isn't being consumed, right? That's something unique. And if you've ever started a fire, you know that the twigs, the branches, the, the things that a bush is made of, right, they don't burn very long. And as he watches it, it just continues to flame. And so he gets closer. And as he gets closer, he hears this voice from the angel of the Lord. Angel literally means messenger, right? So, so the angel of the Lord, maybe this is uh, literally like a pre-incarnate Jesus. Maybe it's just a messenger of God, but this voice comes from God uh, and speaking to him tells him to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. And so in verse one, while we recognize that Moses is this man with a, a, a torrid background that, that has uh, every reason to be insecure. In these verses, we start to understand the God who speaks to him, and that God is holy and God is known. And what it means for God to be holy is that he is set apart and different and, and separate from all of creation, right? We, we think about holiness oftentimes as, as some sort of like uh, self-righteousness, because we think about like they, that person just thinks they're like holier than thou. Like that person is so self-righteous and they just think they're so good. And, and holy can almost become this like uh, tainted word when we talk about people. And so when we, we talk about the holiness of God, we don't even really know what to do with that. But what it means is that God, God is something other than all of this creation because he created it. He's in this other realm. He, he, he is this above it and over it and, and, and he is righteous and he is good to the point of defining those things, right? In, in First John says, God is love. He, he, very character and nature defines what love is. And so his holiness is this thing for us to recognize as, as beauty to be beheld. And at the same time, what we see in this passage is it's something to be respected and honored and even feared, because we are not holy. When God is holy and, and Moses enters near this bush, right, this, this theophany that is just like this image of God's presence, he has to take off his sandals to, to show respect and honor, right? Like you don't wear dirty boots into your grandma's carpet, right? Same idea, right? Like you wanna just, the ground around this bush is holy. Show honor and respect to the God who is in your presence. And Moses is afraid because of this holiness. Isaiah 6, Isaiah's praying, uh, and he has this vision of God's throne room and, and this vision of God's train uh, from his robe going all throughout the temple. And, and there's these seraphim, that is these angels that are singing like, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. And this is picture of this majestic king that God is in his holiness. And Isaiah's response is, woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. In the presence of God, Isaiah responds, I'm, I'm gonna die because of his holiness. In the presence of God, even just in the presence of a bush, Moses is fearful to look upon it because of his holiness. God is holy and he's known, right? So, so God's response to Moses coming is, is, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. These are names of people that the Israelites would have passed down from generation to generation, even being in Egypt, even being persecuted, even being enslaved. They had come to Egypt as a large family. They had come to Egypt as a large family in the midst of a famine, just seeking food. And as they were able to find food, and then after generations continued to grow into this large gathering of people, they were to remember the God who brought them there. The God who had made covenant promises with their forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now, when God appears to Moses, he's telling him this is who he is. The God who, who made those promises, the God who brought them to Egypt, the God who preserved them, the God who allowed them to flourish even in the midst of persecution. And he's telling them that he's heard their cries because of their enslavement, because of their suffering, because of their pain. He's heard them. And he wants to rescue them. Because God is holy and God is known. He's a, he is not just a God who is holy and set apart and overlooks the world and says, cool, do whatever you want. Enjoy your suffering, enjoy your pain, or worship me. That's not the God that we worship. The God that we worship sees us and knows us and wants us to know him. In the midst of his holiness, he calls us into his presence to take off our sandals and to know him. And Moses, insecure about everything that has happened to him in his life, everything that he's done, everything that he's experienced, hiding far off from his people is now being called by the God of his people to come and to know him. In verse seven, it says this, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So remember, Moses is out shepherding, right? He, he's just hanging out with sheep. And he goes and he's up on this hill, this, the Mount of God, and he sees this miraculous burning bush and he hears the voice of the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, I see the suffering of my people, the people that you fought to defend, the people that you fled from Pharaoh who is persecuting them and, and maybe still seeking after you. The thing that you could have hoped for and dreamed for and wanted the most in your life and for all of your people, I want you to go and do that. 
set them free. And Moses' response is, who am I to do that? Are you crazy? You don't know who I am. And we don't have time to run through all of it, but Moses continues to respond that way in this, in this story. As it continues, Moses is like, whoa, who, who are you? Who, who are you, God? What do I tell them when I say that God told me this? And then they're, they're gonna deny that you, that's who, who told me. They're gonna say I'm crazy. And then I can't give a speech to Pharaoh, God. Like, I have a stutter. Like, I can't talk in front of people. Moses just continue to say, no, not me. No, not me. I can't do that. It's not who I am. It, it's, it's someone else. In the midst of this miraculous moment, this message from God, this literal voice from heaven speaking to him, even in that, Moses' insecurities hold him back from his calling. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and think, oh, if I just had a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, then I'd probably be good. You wouldn't. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many friends you have. I don't care how successful you are. There's always gonna be some nagging insecurity in your soul. Because it's just part of what it means to be human. To doubt, to think, oh, if I just, just had a little bit more, if I could just do a little bit more, if I could just work a little bit harder, if I could achieve this or have that, if, if, if my girlfriend was better looking, whatever it is, like all of these insecurities just can continue to pour out on us. Because the problem is in us. Moses doesn't get this call from God in this miraculous moment and say, let's go. He says, no way. And it's the same for us. These insecurities hold us back. And they ultimately hold us back from what God's calling us to the most. Like, to be honest, I don't really like being in front of people. Like genuinely, like, go, go look at my Instagram. I posted like six times last year. Um, and maybe that's normal, maybe it's not, but maybe you post a bunch more. It's no judgment on you. Um, I, like, I don't, I don't like putting myself out there. I don't, I like have to think about what I'm gonna wear, right? And then I look at like, what did Tim wear? And like, make sure I don't wear that. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, like, like, I don't even like the sound of my voice. And I know you have to listen to me for a couple more minutes, so try not to get distracted by that. But um, like, there's a lot of reasons I don't wanna be up here. But I like to preach. Like, I, I actually really like to preach. Um, I love doing this as much as I hate being here. Right? Like, I was the kid in school who like didn't wanna do like class presentations. I'd like sit in my desk and like have like handprints for my palms sweating on the desk, just like waiting for, like I couldn't even prepare for those things because I would just get too nervous about it. But this, like, yeah, sign me up, Tim. Like every chance I get. Because this is, this is different, right? This is something that, that has purpose. This is something that has meaning. This is something that, that God's called me to and that is gonna overcome the insecurities I have about what I wear or how I sound or what I look like like all the other reasons that I don't wanna be up in front of people. Because it's more important that I think that you hear this and what God can, can use me to tell you than, than the insecurities that I have. Right? And that's the type of calling that God has for your life. He doesn't want everybody to be a pastor. He doesn't want everybody to be Moses leading the people out of Egypt. But God is clear in the New Testament that he has a, a message that he wants to get out and he has a way to do that and that's you. Right? He wants the gospel to be proclaimed. He wants the good news, the hope of Jesus to be declared in this world and he wants to use the church to do it. 
says, you will be my witnesses. That's wherever you work, right? Wherever you live, wherever you are in your daily life, God wants to use you in those moments to share the love of Jesus in word and deed. And he has a plan and a purpose for that through you. And the insecurities that we feel, the the sense of shame, the sense of guilt, the sense of things that hold us back, when we start to focus on that plan and that purpose that God has for our lives, we begin to overcome those things. First, in the way that we are able to do those things in faithfulness to God, and and then continue on even more, right? Honestly, like, you start to get over the sense of insecurity and and shame about who you are. You start to find healing. You start to find hope. You start to find, find peace about those things because of who Jesus is. Because your identity isn't rooted in your money or your good looks or, or whatever other skills that you might have that you're proud of or insecure about, your identity is rooted in Christ, in who he is and what he's done. Your identity is rooted in the God who performs miracles, the God who can make a bush burn and declare from heaven to Moses, go and set my people free. And ultimately he goes. Ultimately he goes and he makes this, his de- declarations before Pharaoh and he leads the people out of Egypt and he leads them into the, almost the promised land because God will use him. And his insecurities can be overcome by the power of God. And in fact, it's something about those insecurities, something about those weaknesses that make him the leader that God wants him to be. Right? Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians. Uh, says, but he said, this is after a list of like things. Like Paul's like, I could boast about a bunch of stuff. You wanna boast about how you were born? Like I was born in the right family, born in the right time, born in the right season, studied all the right things. That's nothing to boast about. You want to boast about your persecution as a Christian? I was arrested, beaten, all these things. Like Paul's like, look, if you're a Jew and you're proud of being a Jew, great. There's no reason to boast about that. If you're not a Jew or if you're a Christian and you want to be proud about the things you've suffered in the name of Christ, great. I've done way more than you. Those aren't the things to boast about. He says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Our insecurities can be something that hold us back. Our insecurities can be something that that cause us to have self-doubt and and even like self-deprecation and just shame. Or we can recognize that our weaknesses, our insecurities, the things that we look at, uh, we can take to God. And we can acknowledge them before him and acknowledge them to one another. And God can begin to use those weaknesses for his glory. God can begin to use the things that cause us insecurity to find boldness in him, to find grace and hope and healing for the things that we've done, for the things that have been done to us, for for the pain and the suffering, for the things that we have shame for. God can bring grace. And God can use us to fulfill our calling, to proclaim his love and his glory in this world as we were intended from the beginning. Because he wants to set his people free. And in Christ, he has set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to gather this morning to worship you, uh, to study your word. And God, we pray that you would be with us, giving us boldness and confidence that every single person in this room deals with insecurities even in the midst of this moment now, God. And we just pray that you would continue to give us strength and understanding to know that you are in control, that you have a plan, and that for us you have a purpose, God, a calling on our lives to proclaim your glory, 
to express the love of Christ to those around us. Father, we pray that you'd help us to, to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to lead others to Jesus, Father, in a way that you've put in our lives specifically and together as a church, Father, and as a family to support one another in that. In Jesus' name, amen.